if there's an equation for the ideal process, that equation would be low friction with high education divided by speed of communication. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. So today what I wanna to talk about is how to find A players for your business. People ask me all the time, and you know, I can give a lot of answers like you need to be an A player to get A players, you know, you have to be a person of character to get people of character. But I wanna give you tactically, like what are the tactics to actually find people to work for your business? There's obviously the art side, which is being the person that will attract A players to your business. But then there's also the tactical side or the science side of it, which is like, what do I post? What do I call the thing? Like, how do I get them in? How do I get them on the phone? Right? And so that's what I want to talk about today is how to find A players for your business. So people ask me a lot, Layla, how do I find A players for my business? And the answer is typically <laughs> be an A player and A players want to work for you. But I think there's more to it than that. What I want to really break down is tactically, like how do I go find A players for a business in our portfolio? Uh, and how do I suggest that other people do the same? And how do I teach people to go find them tactically? Like what are they called? Where do I find them? How do I get them on the phone? And that's what I want to answer for you. So if you're constantly feeling like you can't find A players, like you don't have time in your business, you're constantly feeling constrained and like you don't have the right talent to take your business to the next level, then this is for you. And so, what I want to explain is that when we were flying out to gyms and we were making about three to 400K per month, we kept feeling like, why is the business not growing? And we couldn't figure out what the reason was. And it took us a while until one day I was looking at the amount of salespeople that we had and the amount of applicants that we were getting for the sales positions. And what I realized was that the reason that we were growing wasn't because we weren't able to acquire clients. The reason that we weren't growing is because we weren't able to acquire talent, right? On the other side, we weren't able to retain that talent. But today what I wanna talk about is acquiring it. So we weren't able to acquire that talent. And what that means is we weren't able to hire people fast enough to keep up with the, the marketing that we were using, right? So we weren't able to hire people fast enough to keep up with our client acquisition. And I feel like that's a problem that a lot of people come across. You hear it with marketers all the time. They're like, I just wish that my team could keep up with the amount of marketing I could do. Like I'm able to market my ass off. Why is it that my team can't keep up? And the reason your team can't keep up is because you have a client acquisition funnel, but you don't have a talent acquisition funnel. And so what I want to break down is the talent acquisition funnel that I instill in our portfolio companies and in our holding company to get people to the next level and take them to 100 million and beyond. So the same way that you have a funnel and you have leads and you've got lead nurture and you've got sales and you've got fulfillment and you've got ascension, right? On the other side, you have applicants, you've got your brand, which nurtures applicants. You've got interviews, which is essentially selling applicants. You've got training and support, which is essentially retaining applicants. And then you've got management and coaching, which is ascending applicants, right? And so you need both of those funnels equally in order to actually grow your business. And so what I want to break down is the five practices that we have in our company that allow us to go to 100 million because we have the infrastructure that can capture all of the people that are coming in through our client acquisition channel. Okay, so the first piece of this is application generation. So just like you generate leads for clients, you want to generate applications for employees, right? And so this is as important as lead generation in your business is how do I get more people to want to work for me? It's like, how do I get more clients? You need someone in your business, whether it's yourself or somebody else who's your right hand to be thinking, how do I get more people to want to work for me? And so when you're thinking about that, what you want to be thinking is what headline is going to capture the attention of the person that I need. Okay. And so your job title is your headline. A lot of people don't get that. They're like job title. I don't know. Call it a student manager, a student coordinator, a success something. The thing is, is that what you want to be thinking is 
the person that you're looking for. What do they already call themselves? When we own Gym Launch, I'm not gonna call people personal trainers because I'm trying to get gym owners. I'm gonna call them small boutique gym owners. I'm gonna call them small business owners, right? Like, what do they call themselves? And so the person that you're looking for, you wanna think to yourself, what do they already call themselves? And that's what you wanna call out in the headline, which is the job title. Now, going with that, there's really five principles to a job title, okay? So I wanna make it short and concise for you, but give you some clear explanations, okay? The first is you wanna be specific, okay? So when I say be specific, what I mean is, if you're looking for a content manager, I'll give you an example that was in our company the other day. We posted for a content manager, and everyone that we were getting had maybe like, you know, six to 12 months of experience, and they honestly didn't have a lot of experience in that role. And so we changed the title to senior content manager. And now we're getting way better applications for that role because the people are more qualified and they're used to having more people report to them. So it's more in line with what we're looking for. It's a very small tweak, but you'd see that like a lot of people don't understand the nuance when it comes to job titles. The second one is that you wanna avoid abbreviations. I know this sounds crazy, it's hyper-tactical, but it's very important because if you post a role that's abbreviated, it's gonna get down-regulated on 90% of the platforms. And so if you say senior, but you just put SR instead of senior, you're gonna get down-regulated. And so always spell out everything in terms of a job title because it's gonna get you up-regulated on the platforms. And if you think about it, when people are searching for a job, they're not searching typically with abbreviations, they're searching with full-blown words. So you wanna make sure that your postings reflect that. The third, and the piece that I see often small businesses tend to mess up the most, is that you wanna make it easy to understand for someone that doesn't know your business, okay? So we had a portfolio company that was looking for essentially like a head of student happiness, right? Well, if you hear that, do you even know what a head of student happiness is? Because I don't know what that is, right? But what that really is, it might be like a vice president of customer success. Right, And so it's a much more commonly used term. So that doesn't mean that once that person comes in, you can't change the term, but it means that when you're looking for them, you wanna call them and, and use the identification that that person actually identifies with, right? Which is like VP of customer success. So if you call someone a student that's a client, use client when it's facing for a job title. The fourth piece is you don't want to use like idiomatic phrases, okay? So what I mean by that is a lot of people, and this was like six years ago, very popular, but people used to post, they'd be like customer success superstar, sales rock star, et cetera. Those actually get down-regulated on the platforms now, and a lot of people find them to be distasteful. It used to be really cool, and they used to actually attract people. Now it's not that way. So if you put anything that's not necessary in the job title, it's not going to upregulate on the search. Lastly is you want to leave out excess. A lot of people think, okay, I'm posting for a sales role. I'm going to say 100K base, you know, up to 200K something in the title. Again, last piece, really important, gets down regulated on all the sites. So overall, when it comes to this first piece of the funnel, what you want to understand is that you need to know who you're talking to and you be very specific about who you're looking for. What is the mission of the business? How do we behave? And then what problem are you solving by taking this role? That is essentially what you want to do when you're posting a job, is you wanna be answering those questions and then also asking yourself, who's the person I'm looking for and what do they look like? Where do they live? Meaning like what platforms are they gonna be on? How do they identify? Do they call themselves a VP of customer success? Do they call themselves a director? Like what level are they at? And then what industry would they say that they're in, right? Because you're gonna to have to pick that on most of the sites. You're gonna say, what industry would I consider this? And if your industry's not on there, what is an industry that somebody would have comparable skill sets? And so at the end of the day, if you know who you're looking for, it doesn't matter if you're the best or the worst at all these tiny tactics, you've got the messaging right. And it's the same as marketing, which is you can nail the messaging, you've got the rest of it down. So you've got to nail the messaging for the candidate that you're looking for.
The second piece of the funnel is really nurture, okay? 68% of candidates say that they didn't take a job because the candidate experience is so poor. And so when I'm saying nurture, I mean the candidate experience. How are you nurturing that candidate outside of those interviews, outside of those touch points to make sure that they're actually gonna be excited to take the role? And so the candidate experience is really comprised of two different kinds of communication. You've got direct communication and you've got indirect communication. Direct communication is the interview. It's the phone call. It's the screening process. It's the email you send when you're kindly declining them or when you're moving them forward in the process. It's the direct communication. Whereas indirect communication is when they Google your company, what's going to come up? What's the brand? When they look you up on social media, what are they going to see? When they watch your YouTube videos, what are they going to find? When they go look on Glassdoor, what's it going to say? That's the indirect because you can bet that if the position is one that's more than hourly, that person is doing research on your company. And so you have to think, what's that experience look like for them? How am I speaking to them? And do the two align? Because when you see candidates drop out, the two don't align. So what you're saying about your company is not reflected in one over the other. So it might be that you're saying that every customer gets an amazing experience, but they go online and they see that you're getting trashed. And the customers are saying they're leaving, they suck, all this stuff. You gotta own your flaws if you wanna attract candidates. Because what they know is that anyone understands that any business is gonna have what I like to call like bugs under the rug. Like you're gonna have shit, right? And so you just wanna be upfront about that because they're gonna find out no matter what. And so you might as well tell them yourself so that you control the narrative. The second piece is that a lot of people make it really high friction to apply for a job and find out about that job, right? So they don't have brand awareness, they don't have uh, any about us, they don't have their mission, their values apparent on their website. And so it's very hard for a candidate to learn about your company. And some candidates won't apply for jobs that they can't find enough about online. Because it's just like a black hole, imagine. And a lot of people like to be, have an ego about this. So like, well, my company's amazing. I don't need to put all this. I, I want to have a thousand questions they've got to filter through and they can't find anything about us online because they're going to figure that out when they get to the other side. That's just not reality in this day's job market is that people want to know who they're applying to work for. And people now more than ever are concerned with the mission, the values of your company. And so if there's an equation for the ideal process, that equation would be low friction with high education divided by speed of communication. So low friction, meaning you make it easy for the person to be educated about your company. You make it easy for them to go through the process. You make it easy for them to know what's going to happen next. The whole interview process is easy. High education, meaning that they can find out a lot about your company online and directly from you. Why not send them a video telling them about your company? Why not send them a packet that has your core value and mission statement? Right? They're getting educated throughout the process. Just as you're learning about them, they need to learn about you. And then above all of that is speed. Because the average candidate or the average candidate cycle in terms of how long it takes you to find someone to be placed in your company is 23 days. But the best candidates find jobs in eight days. So that means that the average company takes three times as long as the average top candidate to place a job. And so when you're thinking about how fast you're communicating with candidates, Above all else, speed is king. Because you're gonna lose the best talent. If you do the direct communication and the indirect communication and it's low friction and it's high education, it doesn't matter if you're slow. You're gonna lose the candidate. And I've seen it happen time and time again. We had a candidate in a portfolio company the other day who was the perfect candidate for the role. But they took too long to get through it. They deprioritized interviews. When you're going through the interview process, ideally, when you're passing over candidates, you're having that communication, you want it to be as fast as possible, which means first interview, Next day, second interview. Next day, third interview. You should deprioritize other things in your company so you can fit them in. Maybe you got to wake up earlier. Maybe you got to go later. Maybe you got to skip dinner. It doesn't matter. You want to get it in as quickly as possible. 
So the third and last piece of acquiring talent or the talent acquisition funnel, right, is really sales, which I consider sales to be the interview process. So it's just like you sell your customer on life after they purchase your product, you wanna sell a candidate on life after they work at your company, right? So you wanna paint the vision of this picture. Just like you've seen Alex have the closer framework, the same framework applies to the sale or the interview process. But a lot of people don't think about it like that. The reality is that as a CEO, you're first selling clients and then you just change who you're selling to. You go and now you sell employees. And so the same skills apply. You're just leveling up in who you're selling to. And so what that process looks like is I call it a five-step sales process, okay? So I wanna walk you through each of those steps briefly just of what's most important. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, how many interviews should I do? How do you do this? How do you do that? This is the process that I use for people. And here's the thing. If you have a bigger company, you're probably going to have more steps in the process. If you have a smaller company, you're going to have less steps in the process. And so you have to understand that done is better than perfect. Try and do as much as you can. It's okay if you can't do all five steps. Maybe you can only do three with the amount of resources you have right now. So the first step is screening. So if you think about this, just like you're going to screen a candidate before you give them to a closer, you've got a setter, right? That setter is going to have like a 15-minute phone call with a candidate if you're going to sell them some big package, right? You don't want to set them straight to the closer because what if they're not qualified? What if they don't have the money, right? There's like automatic things that if they don't have or if they don't meet those qualifications, that closer isn't going to seal the deal. And so the same goes for the interview process is you want to have a screening call where you're essentially finding out like, is this the job that they want? Do they sound excited about the role? Is the pay in line with what they want for pay? Can they work the hours needed? You want to make sure all the logistics are there. Can they work the hours needed? Does the pay align? Uh, do they have the skill set? Is what they put on their resume actually what they have experience-wise? And you want to also screen out just make sure there's no weirdos. And so that's the first piece is the screening call saves you hassle in the long run because you're going to save, instead of wasting an hour, you're wasting 15 minutes. The second step is what I call the expectations and culture interview. Okay, so what, what is hard and what a lot of people don't do is they get on an interview and it's all about what I want to know from the candidate. But you have to understand that candidate wants to hear things from you as well. And so I open every interview with setting the expectations. Hey, I know that you've seen the job description, you've read it, we, you had the screening call. I just want to reset expectations. I want to just explain to you exactly what our company does and what this role, what this problem is solving of that this role does and what problem this role solves. And so you get on and you basically go through, here's the mission of our company, here's our values, and here's what we do in a nutshell. 60 to 90 seconds. And then you go through and you say what the role does. The best way to frame this is what problem is this role solving? Because here's the thing, you don't want to bring people in to do activities. You want to set the tone, which is I'm bringing you in to solve a problem on my behalf. I don't have time to solve all the problems. I need you to come in here so you can solve the problems for me. So that's the second interview. The next piece to that is that once you set the expectations, you want to test for culture. So say that you're a company that speed is king. Then you want to ask, hey, if you get an email, how long do you let that email set in your inbox? A day, two days, an hour, two hours? What is it, right? Say that competitive greatness is one of yours, which is one of our core values. Then I might ask the person, I might say, what does success look like to you? Why do you work, right? And if someone's like, well, I work because I want to make a lot of money because I like to golf on the weekends. I'm like, that's really cool. That's just probably not a fit for our company. I want someone who works because work is their passion. Work is what they love. And that's what they always want to be constantly progressing in life. And work is a way to do that. Right? And so you can see how questions like that, you want to ask the questions that are going to, they're not a right or wrong question, and they're not like, are you ethical or unethical? It's just, to what degree do you exemplify these values? And you can find that out through questions like that. 
Now, the third step of the interview process is the skill test interview. And a lot of people overcomplicate this. They're like, what do I send and the project and the, I need all the detail. And a lot of people just end up skipping the skill test interview because they don't understand that it's actually very simple. Here's what I want you to do. When you're skill testing someone, go look at the last four weeks and go look at the problems that occurred that if that person was here, they would have been solving. The situations that arose that were difficult for you, that took your time, they took your attention. And I want you to say, okay, I'm gonna write out four of these situations or problems and I'm gonna present them to them. I'm gonna try and give them as much context as possible and I'm gonna ask them, how would you solve this problem? How would you approach this situation? And then make it a discussion. Continue to ask questions as they're bringing up how they would solve those situations. And so for a role where you can't have them tactically do something, you know, like say with someone who's a funnel builder, you could have them go build a funnel, but there's a lot of roles that don't have that. You know, you bring someone as an operator, you bring someone as, as a staff accountant, you know, you're not going to have them do your books for you. So you've got to ask them situational questions like that. And you want to watch how they think through it because essentially you're buying how they think. You're literally paying for their brain to be on your company. So you want to make sure that their brain is thinking in a way that is advantageous for your company rather than not. The fourth step to the interview process is what I call an alignment interview. And this is one that I don't think that I've seen anywhere else, but it's one that I have found is how I've saved people from coming into the company that shouldn't be there. An alignment interview is making sure that their personal goals are aligned with the goals of the role. So I want to make sure if I'm hiring someone that if they have very large career goals, I want to make sure that I see a path within our company where we can align with those goals. If they come in and they're like, they're coming in as a, say, a director of sales. And I'm like, what's your goal? They're like, I want to be uh, COO. And I'm like, ooh, we've already got someone on track for COO, though. That's not going to align. And so then I have to be up front because I look at it as my duty to make sure that I'm protecting them from taking a job that doesn't align with their own personal goals, right? So I look at it like that and I say, hey, that's great, but I don't think we've got that here. We've actually got someone already on track for COO. I mean, if you want to bid for that role, cool, but like being really honest, I think she's going to do a great job and she's getting there. Or you might have someone who says, you know, I'm coming in and you've got a sales team to build and they're coming in as sales manager. And I say, what's your goal for the role? And they say, well, my goal is that, you know, I never sell and then I get above the team and then I'm just directing the team and they're all self-sufficient. I might say, whoa, man, you know, I don't think that's going to happen for at least two years. You know, say we're only a five person company. I'm going to need you to sell for at least the next 18 months. And so it's aligning what the role, what the company needs in the role and what they want from the role and making sure that the two fit together. And so it's constantly going over the expectations, which I've talked about. Expectations are just what does good look like? And good to them in a role versus good to you in a role are often different things. And so that last interview in that sequence is often just a making sure that you're truly aligned. Another thing you might go over in that is say you work from home. Have you defined what work from home means? I make sure that in all the interview processes that I explain to people what work from home means. Because what I found is that a lot of people, work from home might mean that they're gone for three hours a day or that they have another job, they're working part-time. That's not what it means in my company. What it means in my company is that we pretend like we're in an office, but we're just at our house. And so you wanna make sure that you're just looking for alignment in that interview to make sure that anything that would cause someone to be fired or quit is taken care of before you bring that person on. And then the last step in the five-step process would be the CEO interview. So in a small company, which is going to be majority of people watching this, and that's okay, the CEO is going to be involved in this process. And listen, if you don't have more than 1,000 employees, I don't know why you wouldn't take the last interview. I think that that is the job of the CEO, to make sure that we have the right people in the company. 
But if you are a bigger company and you aren't involved in that process, the last interview is just the CEO interview, which essentially is the CEO telling that person, where do I see the role going? How do I see this role contributing to the team? And what do I think the problem that you solve is? And often what I've seen is that most CEOs can paint a bigger vision than that departmental leader. And so it kind of just helps show that person the potential of the role. Because sometimes too, you have to understand is that departmental leaders, they're gonna get afraid of where that role could really go if that person's really good, because what if it goes above them? And so it's really great to have the CEO come in and paint the picture for like, here's all the opportunity we've got in this company. If you crush it here, here's other opportunities that you're gonna have. And also for them to build that relationship because people who have reciprocity, they have trust, and they have loyalty with the CEO are gonna be better, more efficient workers. And so that's the five-step process or the five-step sale when it comes to bringing candidates in. So overall, what I want you to understand is that when people ask, how do I get eight players in my business? There's the art and there's a the science to it. And so what I wanted to cover was really the hard science to it. Like tactically, how do you really bring people in? I want to get you to reframe because a lot of people see this as really boring stuff. But if you can understand the same skills that allow you to acquire clients, it's the same skills to acquire candidates. then I think it's a lot more fun for your business and you're probably going to grow a lot bigger. And so uh, what I'd love is if you guys like this, if you found it useful, let me know. And what I would also love is if you could just let me know tactically, what is missing? What more do you want to hear? What more do you want to know so that you can actually go implement this in your business? And so I'm going to have a part two to this to talk about, you know, now that we've gotten the A talent, how are we going to keep the A talent? And I will see you on the next one.